Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise, episode number five. Today, in recognition of International Men's Day on November 19th, we will be tackling men's health and well being issues with a special focus on mental health. Listen in. Today's episode might be a game changer for men and for anyone who knows one. Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. I'm Bob Peacock. Most men like to think of themselves as pretty good do-it-yourselfers, and although we hate to admit it, we may not always be as good at that as we'd like, especially when it comes to our health. Around the world, men are more likely to smoke, drink alcohol excessively, and eat a poor diet, and they are more likely than women to die from cancer, heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, and suicide. In fact, all over the globe, men have a shorter life expectancy than women by about six years in most locations. And in about 70% of those cases, it's because of health issues that could have been prevented if we simply changed our lifestyle. When I say health, I'm not just talking about physical health either. In fact, in this episode, we'll mostly focus on mental health. We'll be talking with Dr. David C. Batman, a registered medical practitioner in the UK for 46 years and the International Occupational Health Advisor for Virgin Pulse, as well as a member of the Virgin Pulse Scientific Advisory Board. Dr. Batman was also the Head of Occupational Health, Safety and Employee Wellbeing at Nestle UK and Ireland for 20 years. Welcome, Dr. Batman. Thank you very much for the intro, Bob. It's a real pleasure to be here and, and hopefully help to change people's lives and, and the lives of ones that they, they love both at, at home and at work. L- looking forward to this podcast. Terrific. Well, let's start with the basics, and I'm going to ask you perhaps the most difficult question right off the bat. Why don't men make their health a priority? Well, this is a real, a real game changer, and it's one of those which are, are very, very difficult to, to understand. I think there is no one single advice, no one single cause of this. But I think we've all got the, to look at our attitudes and our behaviors to, to health, and that's the core to it. And, and men are more likely than women to participate in behavior that puts their health at risk, actually, smoking, drinking alcohol, driving fast cars, etc., and actually they're encouraged almost to lead unhealthy lifestyles, etc. Also men, who they think they're in good health. They don't think it's necessary. Um, but the real, you know, the real thing about men is that we need as many checkups as, as women do as well at the same time. But there's also a stigma. It's, it's to do with the, the hierarchy of men in, in, in society, etc., and they actually don't have a comfort factor seeing doctors. They've almost got a dread factor. Mm-hmm. They don't have the courage to go in and see doctors like, like our female partners do, etc. Our women find it far easier to deal with their emotions. They've got a much better social understanding. They've got networks of friends and, and colleagues. But I think one of the main things is that they have regular contact with doctors. You know, from a very early age, they take them there with, with vaccinations. They taught to examine themselves. They taught to go for regular checkups, for smears and mammograms. And they're very happy to talk, both with partners, with other people, but with doctors as well as, at the same time. And I turn that around to men. Men hide their emotions. They don't have friends and network to, to talk with. They have drinking buddies, they have drinking colleagues, um, but they don't actually have people to actually share their emotions with at the same time. They have real difficulty expressing their emotions. 
and they don't go and see the doctor on a regular basis. You know, I don't see out there in the big wide world the same pressure for men to examine themselves for testicular cancer, for instance. Mm -hmm. Simple thing, but they don't do it. So I think it's all really down to attitudes, behaviour, and societal norms which don't fit for men actually going easily to see the doctor. According to WebMD, and I quote, out of the 15 leading causes of death, men lead women in all of them except Alzheimer's disease, which many men don't live long enough to develop. If we want to be healthier physically and mentally, the change depends on individual attitudes and decisions. Is that correct? It, it, it certainly is. You know, as, I think the traditional way of, of people, doctors and patients think is, wait for a problem to present itself, go and get it diagnosed, and then get it treated. And particularly when we start to talk about mental health, there isn't that same recognition there to actually go and do that. To actually say, let's go when we are well for a checkup is alien to men. And it's also alien to men to actually notice simple changes. Women notice simple changes in attitude, behavior, lumps and bumps. Men ignore them. Um, and until we get through to men that look, you can live longer, but you can also have a better quality of life at the same time. It is getting that message through to, to men that we are all human beings and we all need to behave the same way towards health. You know, that's the most important. And I think the other thing is, let's talk about health. Let's not separate physical and mental health. I know they're slightly different. Let's talk about health and try and destigmatize some of these things for men. So if we want to be as healthy as we can be, uh, to get started, you look at your, your well-being and identify the, the threats or risks that may be keeping you from achieving the kind of well-being you want to achieve. Is that correct? It is indeed. It is indeed. But it's, you know, you've got to apply that same analytical process probably as we, as we do for other things in life. You've got to look at the way that you, you, you behave, your attitudes in life, etc. You've got to look at the, the blockers that you've got as well today. Stop saying, you know, the health service will cure me when I get sick. And that's not, and that's not that high. It doesn't do that. Stop saying, I'll do it tomorrow. Do it today. Let's go where we can get sound, simple advice, etc. But it, it's now. Let's not put it off. But it's also just getting men should get into tune with their bodies. And, and I don't want them to become doctors. I don't want them to become clinicians. And I just use the, word, the simple word change. If something has changed in your life, the way you feel, you found a lump, a bump, your concentration, your sleep pattern may have changed, your drinking habits may have changed. Just stop and think, how am I? Do I need some help? And the, the most important thing is to find somebody that you can talk to about. It doesn't need to be a doctor. It can be your wife, your partner, a good friend, but just talk about it. And then I think it's also important that we got to keep reminding ourselves this is for the future. It can't be a short-term goal, but it has to be in for the long haul. I'm afraid it is. Um, this, this, is this is one of the things we most have difficulty with. You know, one of the most prevalent illness patterns we see at the moment, no matter which country in the world I go to, it, it's, it's obesity. Now, you don't need to be a doctor to see that. And people go on diets to lose weight. And there's so many diets out there that you can go on to. And you will lose weight very quickly. But how can you maintain that? It's also, also about saying is that being overweight, let alone obese, has implications for the future. The risk between obesity high blood pressure, stroke, heart attack, and increasingly type 2 diabetes. And the one thing 
if there's one thing that really frightens me in this life about health with the link to obesity is we've got a massive rise in type 2 diabetes in children. Teenagers, 14, 15 upwards, developing type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes used to be called maturity diabetes. Didn't used to come on until your pancreas gland wore out when you were getting old. But obesity, and that has happened with children now, is giving them type 2 diabetes. Mm. And unfortunately, to some of these children, they're going to die before their parents do because they're going to get strokes early, heart attacks early with type 2 diabetes. So it's not just the adults. It is, goodness sake, we need to look at our children more than ourselves at, at, at this point with obesity. And getting across to people that you need to make these changes in your lifestyle for your future. The future seems a long way off, particularly for, for youngsters, etc. But I think one of the things that, and we mustn't knock the male, male species all the time, particularly the, the younger males who are more used to using social media, apps, laptops, iPods, phones, etc., they're actually getting more into health than ever before. They're using a new mechanism of the media they're getting through to them. They are making some changes, and I am seeing people at a very younger age, probably in their 20s, starting to think long-term. I think one of the things that's driving it is not the presence of the media, but increasingly we're all probably seeing elderly relatives with dementia, with Alzheimer's. Mm. And it's a shock to most people to see their elderly relatives like that because that's, that's new, their preponderance is new. And I think that in itself is a wake-up call to people saying, I don't want to go there. So there are, there are a number of things that are happening. We are seeing a sea change in the things that are happening around us which are changing attitudes and behaviors. Dr. Batman, I've heard you say, if you can't change your circumstances, change your attitude. Talk about that. Yeah, I, I've learned this a long time. You know, I'm, I've been in medicine now 46 years. I, I've seen trends, I've seen changes, and, I, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in personal responsibilities. Now, we all come across adverse situations in, in their lives, and I'm, even though I'm a doctor, I've had some pretty difficult times in my life. And, and what I've realized over the times is that we're all trying to change things which are actually movable objects. And, and particularly mental health, we all see problems, and those problems, you almost tell a story in your head and you make them worse and you're worse. And if you can't change those attitudes, you're pushing, trying to push a snowball up a hill. Mm. You're trying to put a forest fire out with a bucket of water. It doesn't work. So think of it in a different way. I'm a huge believer in the way that we think, that we can actually move mountains for ourselves. So if you talk to my three children of the things that we've told them, that's one of the big ones that I've actually taught them to, to come along with them. It is, yeah, if you can't change your circumstances, change your attitude. The other saying I have which goes along with that is, there is no such thing as a problem. You just haven't found the solution. Mm. Link those two together. You make some big changes with those two. Very good. One of the big changes that I personally need to make in my life, and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of the people listening, is just making it a priority to be more active. HPE offers a, a great resource that makes being more active fun and easy to do. A lot of men love a good challenge, which is one reason why HPE's Global Wellness Challenge is so popular every year. But I think men and women might be surprised to learn that you can use the Virgin Pulse site year-round to track how you move and feel. And once you sign up, you can go into the website and invite others to an activity challenge, or you can create a challenge of your own, or you can also track your steps, your sleep, and your activity throughout the day. 
I actually use the Virgin Pulse app, and I use it every day. I, tra- I set my step count as to I want to hit 8,500 a day. I know how many active minutes I need to do in a day, and I track that on a daily basis, even though I'm a doctor, and that, that spurs me on. I share that information with, with friends and colleagues, but to me, exercise is vital. But do you know the other thing, and you, you mentioned it there, Bob, one of the big things that we are not used to measuring and managing is sleep. Mm. Sleep, to me, is, is, is the second highest risk factor for ill health, both short-term and long-term. And I manage, man, you know, I manage and monitor the time I go to sleep, the time I wake up. I look at the hours I sleep. I look at the quality of my sleep. And I manage that equally as well. We all need goals. And I think the other thing, the beauty of it is, we need to share that information. And some of the beauties of, of working through some of the challenges that we see within the Virgin Pulse uh, Enterprises and other, other platforms as well and other things we can do is doing it with colleagues, doing it with friends. You know, you can go out and you can actually, instead of just sitting at your desk and having a sandwich and a drink at lunch, go out for a walk with a colleague. You can still do the work and still have the chat, right. but do it in a different way. Share information, share challenges. It's about opening these doors and it's about having conversations. And once you've had those conversations, life changes, believe you me. Just wanted to mention one of the, the biggest men's health movements is known as Movember, which entails growing a mustache throughout the month of November to remind and engage men about their health and having a better understanding of their health risks. Started back in 2004 in Australia uh, when a group of men got together and created Movember because in Australia a mustache is termed a mo, uh, and they, they created the tagline, Changing the Face of Men's Health. Uh, they tied their cause to raising awareness and raising funds for prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and mental health and suicide prevention. And last year alone, they raised $74.2 million across 20 countries. Uh, to help HPE employees know what preventive screenings they should have. There's also a really great article and checklist for HPE employees that provides recommended actions that you can take at various ages, as well as the many HPE programs and resources available to help you improve your physical, mental, financial, and social well-being. So, Dr. Batman, are you seeing businesses all over the world starting to think more about the importance of total well-being? Totally, totally. Um, the movement probably started eight, eight years ago, but it is gaining momentum now. I think businesses have started to, to realize that you can't just say our employees are our most important asset and leave that as just a strap line. They've started to realize that actually if we build up the resilience of our employees, if we support them, because they spend more time at work and they probably do at home for a lot of people, etc. There's actually a benefit for the individual, but there's also a benefit for the business. I'm also saying that that started with, with physical health, and that was the first start with, with exercise, with nutrition, with hydration. But very much the movement now is into, into mental health. And the main thing about mental health is talking about it. And the thing is, I've seen some very senior business leaders across the world come out and talk about 
their depression, their anxiety, um, people talking about their, their relatives with Alzheimer's and dementia. And it almost gives it authority to come through the business. And when it starts at the top of the business, it, author, it authorizes it. It gives it permission, and then it seeps through the business. And I think if, if I talk, you know, if I listen to and you listen to, you know, our leader in, in Virgin Post, Richard Branson, what he says is, look after your employees, and then they will look after your business. You don't need to force it. It becomes a cultural norm, and it is becoming a cultural norm. I was talking to a worldwide business just last week, and they've actually now introduced a mindfulness program for all their employees, not just those at risk, but for all employees. Now, come back to circumstances and risks and attitudes. This is about preparing us all for the future. We're all going to hit some difficult times in our lives. It's about preparing it now. So it's now been seen not just as a nice-to-have, it is rapidly becoming the cultural norm that well-being and well-being directors, well-being managers, and well-being champions, it's there. It's there. And people are seeing their businesses grow. And people want to actually go and work for businesses that have got cultural programs in well-being, etc. People are living on the businesses to come and join those. So, yes, a massive change. Probably uh, uh, an oversimplified question here, but can you just explain what does mental health mean exactly? This is the big one, and I think it frightens a lot of people. Mental health is just your ability to, to function. Mm. It's your ability to, what we call your cognitive processes. It's your ability to understand what's around you, to understand questions and information, to understand your environment. It's your ability to have an enjoyable life. It's ability to appreciate yourself and others. It's everything outside that motor function, the physical side about movement. It's mm. about bodily function. This is all about emotions. It's about resilience, etc. Mental health is, is, is probably more important than, than physical health, but invariably you can't have one without the other. It's an interlocking process, but we like to separate them. Uh, I stopped talking, trying to stop talking about separating the two, and let's just, just talk about health. Um, and it is, it is, it is vital, it is, it is mental health. Well, according to uh, World Health Organization, mental health issues affect about half of the world population, and only two in every five people experiencing things like anxiety or substance use issues will seek professional assistance. When should people get professional help? I have to say in a lot of cases, we can actually see people, people should be picking it out long before we go professional help. Because I, I spend an hour per patient and I'm seeing some trends and some trends particularly in men. Mm. By the time I get the referral, there's probably a background going back anything between six, nine months, even a year, year and a half when the problem started. And what started with this, a simple problem arose and then the thought process is changed in, in, in the guy's head. And that thought became a story. And that story got very negative. We are negative as a human race, but men more than women. Then they started to sleep badly. As they slept, started to sleep badly, their thought processes changed, concentration went off. And there's a long, slow process going on for many, many months. And they only get picked up when a loved one or they themselves say, I'll see a doctor at, at, at this point. So I would go right back to the beginning, because I think a lot of these, I think probably there are about 20% of people with mental health who do need professional help, do need medication, do need support. But for the rest, if it could be picked up earlier. So I think for, for individuals, and I come back to this word change, and particularly with mental health, the things that change is your thoughts suddenly become do dominated by a negative thing and you're telling a story in your head. You, and the big thing is you start to sleep badly. 
People with anxiety have difficulty getting off to sleep because they're worrying. People with depression get off to sleep and then they're waking up in the night. So if your sleep pattern changes, stop and think, is something going on? You know, it could be that you've got physical pain and a physical problem. But in a lot of times, that's the start of it. Then what a lot of men start to do is they then reach for the bottle and they start to use the drink mm. as a way of getting to sleep more than anything, as a way of doing it. So if they can do things when they are starting to change very early on the process and then go and see a loved one just to talk about the problem, look for a solution, and then maybe at that stage if they could then go and get some professional help at that point. But the professional help, and it's not easy to get to, is actually not a bottle of medication. Medication doesn't solve those early problems. It's about seeing psycho psychologists, psych psychotherapists. It's about getting involved in mindfulness. It's about doing something to go back and solve the problem. So early recognition is the key to mental health before it becomes a real problem. Very good. So what are some of the biggest men's mental health issues that you see in your work? And is there one issue that is more prevalent than, than the rest? Depression is the big one. Um, <sighs> I think on average now, we, across the world and the World Health Organization statistics show that around about 18% of the workforce have probably got depression at any one time. One in three of us will have a major depressive episode throughout our lifetime. And I think, you know, we've got to say men, unfortunately, make up 70, 75% of suicide victims. And unfortunately, one man kills himself every 20 minutes in the, in the U.S. At, the, at this moment in time. So, so that becomes a, a problem, etc. But depression of all of them is the big problem at this moment in time. It seems to me that men often suffer in silence, which might be one reason why that number of men die by suicide three and a half times more often than women. How do we break down the perception of men thinking of mental health issues as a weakness? It's a long, slow process, Bob, and I think, you know, you know the good businesses where they are talking about mental health at work, where there's no longer a stigma attached with mental health at work, where you and your colleagues will talk about it. We're seeing some colleagues who've, who've actually had depression openly talking with their friends when they've come back after an illness or keeping themselves at work and they're talking about it. And I think it's an important thing. I think one of the things that we can do is, and I've talked about this word change in yourself, but if you've got a colleague and we've talked about at work where something's changed, it may be an attitude, dress, attendance, performance, just a way that relate to you. There's three simple words that I think makes a big difference just for one person to say to the other one, how are you? Mm. And just those three simple words, it is amazing how many conversations open up and people start to talk about it. And I, 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 I really do promote this, how are you? It's about looking after one another and rather than just ourselves. It's about people at work. If there have been those changes I've talked about, not, not just jumping into performance management, etc., but quietly, and you've got to choose your moments and the place, just asking the individual, how are you? And just get people to talk about it. And it is, it is amazing how it can happen. But it's, this is, we change, we're trying to turn around an oil tanker here. You don't do it with one flick of a switch. But this is a long, slow process. But we've got to start somewhere, and, and now is the time to do it. Successful businesses are doing it, and to have those open, honest conversations about mental health, I'm seeing it time and time again. Very important. Let's talk about stress. There's a lot of talk these days about stress. It's become almost a buzzword all over the world. What is stress? Sitting on my desk in front of me now, I have got a, a dictionary of every disease known to man. It's called the International Classification of Diseases. 
And within that, every disease has got an international code. And so we can, we can do research and we can clearly identify what we're talking about. And if you go into that, there is no code for stress. There's mm. post-traumatic stress, there's, there's, there's postpartum stress, but not stress per se. Stress has grown up, and stress is actually, to my mind, not actually an illness. It's an emotion. I feel stressed. You feel stressed. It's how you feel, and you feel your heart beating, and you feel, you feel anxious, but it's, it's an emotion. Stress is actually a mixture of anxiety and depression. It's the two illnesses rolled together. And one becomes proportionally greater than the other. So it may well be people who've got more anxiety than depression or vice versa. I mean, I think the thing with stress is for most people, it, it is the result of pressures in, the, in their lives. And most of us can handle pressure to a certain extent. And, I, you know, I talk about developing resilience rather than stress management programs. But it is a mixture of the two that, 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 comes, that comes around. But it's too easy to talk about stress as if it's the buzzword and the stamp that, that, everybody, that everybody gets, etc. And it isn't one single illness. It is a mixture, and it is very variable from individual to individual. Every individual I see in my clinic, and 90% have got mental health problems. An awful lot of them have got different causative factors. They've got different coping mechanisms. They've got different support mechanisms at home, different relationships. It's actually complex. But if you treat it in a simple way and look at the anxiety and the depression, um, you, can, you can deal with it. When it comes to, to our physical and mental health, we as men are often our own worst enemies. We're often told as boys to man up and be tough and don't cry. So many men have grown up feeling that they can't or don't want to talk about their feelings, that you mentioned that. And a lot of times... I would guess that anxiety and mental health issues are a result of how we handle, or in fact don't handle, that stress. What is your advice for managing stress at home and at work? Yeah, you, you're quite right, Bob. It goes, it goes a long way back, and it's, 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 the, it's what is the social norms that have, that have come up, etc. And it's passed down through the, through the male generations of, of, of families time and time again. And I think that the, the, the way to, to really deal with, with those things, etc., is to as I've said, we're all going to ex accept that there are going to be difficult times in our lives. And it may be through relationships at home. It may be through children. It may be through finance. It may be through work. It may be through a line manager. It may be through an accident. We don't know. I think the most important thing is for us all to recognize that at some point we're going to hit those, those times. There's nothing we can do about it. But it is about building resilience. It's about having your lifestyle that says you and the things in lifestyle which will affect both physical and mental health are the same. It's about having regular exercise. It's not just going to the gym all the time. Just walking is the best form of exercise that you can do on a daily basis. It's about having regular sleep patterns. It's about separating work from home. It's about not having that laptop in bed or the iPad there or whatever, your, your phone, etc., with the blue lights. It's about separating work and home. It's about feeling that you are allowed to have a life outside of work, etc. So accept this going to do and build up your resilience. And good businesses are developing resilience programs rather than stress management programs as, as well at the same time. So it's about having the norm that says we are there, male or female, doesn't matter, the same programs fit everybody, but it's about saying, almost saying, yes, I am vulnerable. It may hit me at some time, but at the same time, for a lot of people, if they've got that lifestyle changes, they are reducing their risk of mental health. They're reducing their risk of physical health. And, and a lot of that, we now know that now that we're able to analyze um, people's genetics, 
we actually know that although you may have a genetic vulnerability, and there are some people who are genetically vulnerable to mental health, by changing your lifestyles, you can actually change your genetic risk. Wow. Let's talk about alcohol. You mentioned it globally. Prevalence of alcohol dependence is more than twice as high in men than in women. Why such a high prevalence of alcoholism in men? It's, it's a socially acceptable norm. Men, even when they are perfectly well, spend a lot of their time socializing over alcohol. It may well be in a, in a drink after work, which is the norm. It may well be socializing at, at parties, at, at gatherings. It, it just happens that it's just, that's just the way it is. And therefore, it's just as easy to pick it up. And alcohol does have that soporific effect. If you've had a bad time at work or a bad time wherever, a few glasses of alcohol dull your senses. They, they do affect the brain. They do affect perception and cognitive function. They, they, they change the mood, and they help, it helps you sleep. So a lot of men use it to help them sleep when they've got the worries, etc., and the anxiety, the stress, if we, if we want to use that word. Alcohol will get you off to sleep, but it won't keep you asleep, etc., and you actually work up worse. So it's, it's, it's part of the culture. It's part of coping mechanism. It's socially acceptable among, among your buddies to have a drink in your hand, whereas our counterparts in and the ladies in our lives, etc., will have a drink, but they'll spend them t more time socializing and talking and listening and hearing and sharing their stories, etc. So we use it in two different ways between the two, between the two sexes. Let's talk about uh, societal pressures. Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg has said that first thing he does when he wakes up in the morning is he checks his phone. That's probably true for way too many of us. Social media has taken a hit for encouraging uh, people to compare ourselves to others, right? Yeah, I think you know, it's this new illness, FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Mm. That's, that's the big one. And everybody's supposed to have better lives than, than we have, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Everybody appears, and I say appears, to, to be doing that, etc. And we've, we've taken over. And I think the, the, so it, it seems to, it has taken over our lives because it's, it's no longer a mobile phone. You know, I've grown up through an era when the phone was actually for talking to people when you wanted to and you had control. Now it's part of the mobile office, apart from anything else. And then certainly in multinational businesses, there's always somebody sending something somewhere. Um, and so it's become the social norm that it's there. And everybody feels everything's on that phone. You have a fear of losing the phone, etc. You see people walking down the street looking in their phone. We've got an increase in pedestrian road accidents by people walking into, into vehicles because they're not concentrating, etc. We see people with their, with their mobile phone and their laptop, on their tablet, whatever it is, and, and it's there in bed. It's actually affecting people's sleep habits. It's affecting people's sex lives as well at the same time. Mm. And the other thing that, that, that I find great difficulty about all of those, and I include the media generally in social media, it's all very negative. Yes. Um, I, I've stopped looking. I look at the news first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Um, and I don't listen to the news when I'm driving between appointments and, and where I'm going in the car. I put an audio book on. I put something on that gives me enjoyment, etc. I, I switch it off when I'm with my wife and when we're with friends at meals, etc. I try and get away from my kids, which is, which is still a battle. But we all do that, etc. It's about taking control and saying what matters. And I think in this life, it seems to me that media contacts with people, that matters far more than those individual contacts. And I think we're all living longer now. When I look at the older generations as they're coming into retirement, 
they've actually forgotten how to communicate with one another. Unfortunately, I see couples when one or both partners goes into retirement, they've forgotten how to communicate, mm. and, and there's a loss there. So I think it's dominating our lives, but people have forgotten there's an off button there. People have got to get back to communicating what's important and good news. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is something you brought up earlier, uh, suicide. The World Health Organization, as you mentioned, estimates that 800,000 people take their own lives every year. That's one person every 40 seconds, which you mentioned. More people have died from suicide than from war and homicide combined, and that number increases every year. So it's the second leading cause of death among 15 to 29-year-olds globally, and of those committing suicide in the Western world, 75% are male. That is true. In, in fact, there are, there are more women who actually will attempt suicide, but they're far less successful than ah, men. Um, interesting. And, and, and that's a, a starting statistic as well. And I think part, part of it is that men, as we keep saying, don't share their stories, they bottle it up. They become very negative and then losing sleep and the world gets darker and darker as, as it goes forward. Also, men have got more, if you like, more opportunity to commit suicide, etc. They're more adventurous, they're more thrill-seeking than, than women are, etc. So they will use vehicles, they will use shotguns, they will use handguns, very, a lot less in terms of medication, etc. It's far more violent. I think the other thing is, of course, we, we, we've got a lot, there are a lot of people who've been in stressful situations. You see people who, some of, your, some of the veterans, there's high rates and people who've come back from, from the forces, etc., and the things that they have seen and done, etc., and the difficulty of getting employment and into the employment markets. You have difficulty with jobs and going between jobs. The employment market has changed, etc. And yet you've still got to provide health care for your family. You've still got to pay the mortgage, etc. And for some people, life just gets so black that they can't see out. And it's back to it. You can't change your circumstances, change your attitude. Mm, but people have a private face and a public face, Bob. We can only, even I as a doctor, can only see the public face. Until I get behind that public face and can actually get that person to, to open up. And I think, you know, I, still, I was trained as a doctor with, with skills which said, listen to people but hear. It's not necessarily what they say but what they inflect. It's about see people but observe them, the way they sit, the way they move, the way they shake my hand, etc. that look of despair. It takes a bit of skill to doing that. And I think, but hopefully as we get this sea change and mental health becomes more acceptable and men open up, then we'll get that change. But the whole crux of this is men opening up and speaking, it's also about us, if we see somebody, not to walk past them, colleague, friend, family, relative, but ask those three words, how are you? Start that conversation. Very good. I uh, just want to make sure I mention it here. All over the world, HPE employees who are going through a difficult time can always get the help that they need from the Employee Assistance Program. And of course, in the U.S., the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. It's 800-273-TALK is an easy way to remember it. And wherever you're listening from, there are resources available all the time, at any time. And you can find all the phone numbers by going to suicide.org and clicking on the suicide hotlines because they're all listed right there. I want to talk for just a minute about some of the solutions now. The tech world's 
top executives are known for their sometimes bizarre lifestyles and, and health habits, uh, a lot of which you probably wouldn't condone, but many of them are doing things that we do want to talk about because uh, they can help reduce stress and anxiety. I've read that Elon Musk tries to get six hours of sleep every night. Probably not enough, but he says that he often has trouble going to sleep and he has to take Ambien. Do you see sleep deprivation issues at your practice? And are there healthier ways that we can get to sleep on those nights when, when we're just restless? Yeah. I mean, sleep, as I said earlier on, I see sleep as a major risk factor, bigger than it, than it ever was. And sleep isn't simple. There are, there's something like 70 different sleep disorders that one can, can suffer from. Um, but the commonest one that we're talking about today is that, that impact and recognition and the link with, with mental health. I, I hear what you say about Elon Musk and six hours. We really do need between seven and eight. It's, it's not just a nice thing to have. It's a necessity to allow the brain to relax. It's about the brain consolidating all the information that it's had, had during that day. Taking Ambien is no different to taking alcohol. It's forced sleep, it's not good sleep, it's not quality sleep, etc. And ultimately, that will catch up with you. And sleep is, is so much in, implicated uh, in a lot of diseases, and particularly the research coming out at the moment, and the link with poor quality sleep, lack of sleep, quantity as well as quality, and dementia in the future is getting stronger and stronger. So I think the most important thing that people can do is recognize sleep is a risk factor. It's not a nice to have. It's about having regular sleep patterns. It's about saying, I'm going to stop using my electronic devices, whichever they are, at least two hours before I want to get to sleep. The electronic device stimulates the brain. It's making you think. It's getting you anxious because the negative, the negative information is coming through. The other thing is with the screens, they emit the blue light from the backlight of the screen. That blue light makes your brain think it's still daytime. And in doing that, it switches off the sleep hormone melatonin, so it won't allow you to get to sleep. So two hours is the, most, is, is, is the, the link, I would say. I'd also say, and people tell me all the time, I need my mobile phone on my bedside stand because it's my alarm clock. I say to people, go and buy an alarm clock. Subconsciously, your brain is thinking so all the time when you're asleep, it's waiting for that ping, that ring, that vibration that says there's something there that you don't want to miss. Just having your mobile phone outside the bedroom charging somewhere else makes a huge difference. Regular sleep patterns, same time to bed, same time to wake up. Throughout the week, not Monday to, to Friday, different Saturday and Sunday, try and get in the same, same sleep patterns. It's about having a dark room, a quiet room. Sleep is there not for work and everything else. It's there for the basics of, of sleep and relationships, etc. Mm -hmm. Try and avoid caffeine late at night as well. I, I advise my patients not to be taking caffeine from 6 p.m. onwards. That is still in the system, and that will affect you at the same time. Alcohol, fine. But again, I, I would say to people is try not to drink every day, every night. Try and have two to three nights a week free from alcohol. I'm not trying to make life miserable and unhappy. I'm trying to get a balance here. But I think the whole thing is see sleep as something that can be managed. And if you manage, it is amazing the changes I've seen in people just by the simple fact of not taking the phone in the, into, the, into the bedroom and switching it off two hours before bed. Those two simple things can make such a marked difference. Right. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey is a big advocate of meditation and yoga. 
He starts every morning with meditation. Does meditation help? I, I like mindfulness as a form of meditation. Um, we've got the thoughts. We all have an average of thirty to 40,000 thoughts a day. It, it's everything from that carpet is green, the sky is blue, to what those figures mean, etc. A lot of them, and a lot of them negative. And we need to manage those thoughts. And mindfulness is a form of meditation, but not the traditional sort of chanting cross-legged on the floor. Mm. I advocate that to as many people as I can. I have 15 minutes mindfulness every morning. It's the first thing I do help clear my head you know i i say to people you know don't surround yourself with negative people my life is full of negative people i've never had a patient come bounding into any of my clinics saying i'm really well today doc let's just have a chat Mm. it doesn't happen (laughs) so i actually spend a couple of minutes meditation through mindfulness between each of my patients that i see it allows me to manage those thoughts of the outgoing patient to make sure i have clarity for the ones coming in it also makes sure that I don't get dragged down by the many problems that I see day in, day out. So I'm a great advocate of meditation, and what I advocate is, is the mindfulness part of it. But I think it's whatever you're doing in, in this life, there are lots of forms of meditation. It's about what fits you that's best. And you mentioned mindfulness. What does that look like? Just give us an example of, uh, for people who don't know what mindfulness is. It is about finding a quiet place. It is about living in the now that we call. It's about appreciating what you've, what you've got around you, etc. It's about sitting in a quiet place where you're not going to be disturbed. I actually use an app that helps me to, to do that, etc. But it's quietly focusing on what's going around you at the time. Eyes closed, listening at the noises that are around you. Maybe a ticking clock. It may be the sound of the wind. Maybe it sounds just a washing machine even, etc. in the background. It's appreciating the smells and everything that's there. And for me, I use it as a breathing exercise. I count my breath in one and out, one, two, up to ten, and then repeat it, etc. Mm. And I will do this at the same time. Now, I, you have thoughts coming through your head all the time, but it's about having those thoughts, allowing them to come through and drift by. And if my thoughts get distracted onto a particular subject, I will recognize that and go back to the counting mechanism and bring myself back into that period. And I will do that for 15 minutes. It's literally living in the now. But I can also do it when I'm out in my garden. I can do it when I'm walking in the street. I can appreciate what's around me, looking at the buildings, the, the, tra- the flowers, the trees, whatever it is. I can be in the office and do it, etc. And you just switch off for those few minutes. So it's about living in the now, managing those thought processes, it's not easy to, to get used to doing, but believe you me, once you've done it, it has such an impact on you. How important is it to have a group of friends that you can talk to uh, and honestly be yourself? Vital, vital, particularly as we get older. And as, as we get older, we lose friends through accidents, ill health, death, whatever it is. And, and, and it's, it's clear the research is there that, that having a good social network is one of the main things that help. Particularly, believe it or not, it's a simple thing which helps ward off dementia. Just having those simple conversations or challenges, talking about the simple things in life, all of these things. We're starting to see, and I'm starting to see dementia now in 60-year-olds, maybe some in their late 50s. That didn't used to happen again. It's a bit like obesity coming in younger age groups, etc. And I think we've got to look at lifestyle and, and having this social group is vitally important. It's also so vitally important. Of all the things we've talked about mental health, sharing, recognizing, helping one another with mental health within those social groups is, is such a vital commodity. It's a bit like sleep. It's not just a nice to have anymore. It's an essential part of it. Time for people 
and not time for people through your app, through your phone, through social media. It's about putting those down and actually having sitting down. And you can have a drink with them and a chat with them and something to eat with them, but socialise. And we need to go back to what socialising really used to be like. If you should recognize symptoms of mental health issues in a loved one, what's the best way to encourage that person to get help? How would you help someone who really doesn't want to be helped? I think this is very, very difficult. The individual are in in denial. They know they have a problem as well. And I think it is having not these adversarial conversations, not the confrontation, but actually just asking that question again, how are you? And yeah, the answer will come out, I'm fine, I'm fine. The answer is, no, you're not really. And I think it's just about pointing things out to people and saying, look, we have recognised, I've recognised, you're not sleeping well, mm. um, you're not eating as well, you, your mood has changed, etc. Can we talk about it? And, it? and it may well be there's a shutdown at that point. It's about encouraging them to, to go on and do that way. But it is about that simple encouragement, not the adversarial, not saying you have to go to the doctor, etc. or all the rest of it. It's about supporting one another. Good relationships do that all the time. So we talked about the importance of changing behaviors, making that decision that we're going to make changes. What are some things that men can do to promote better mental health? It, it, it's about starting to be, to be open, to recognize that we are all vulnerable to a greater or lesser, lesser extent. It's about recognizing it's, it's, it's not a shame to have health with a, with a percentage of men in particular that get mental health problems it's not a shame to have it can happen to anybody it's not your fault you've done nothing wrong it's one of these things that that happens etc it, it's about preparing yourself it is about saying that my lifestyle matters and i think it's going back and saying that and the message is that your lifestyle controls the way that you are going to be within all the health parameters it's about setting up that that says I'm going to have an app on my phone that, that, that I will challenge myself, and I'm going to do 8,000 steps a day. I am going to have seven hours sleep on a regular basis. I am going to challenge myself, and I'm going to challenge friends. I'm going to draw friends into this. I'm going to create a group of people at work or at home. But let's compare our health data. Let's compare how we think and, and how we feel and make it part of the norm so that it is just like anything else that we do, um, but we have to recognize that throughout society there are different groups and different packages that we, we are not going to change, and we're not going to change this in a day. But we've got to start from somewhere. A journey of a 1,000 steps starts with one. So make health a priority. We've all got to-do lists, whether it's on your phone, whether it's on your pad, wherever it is. Put health in one of the top things at the top of your to-do list so you monitor it, that you think about it all the time. Don't split physical health and mental health. Talk about health as one parameter. Set yourself the challenges that you're going to do this on your phone so that it becomes a behavior. If you change that behavior, you will change your attitude. Involve others in the family or at work in it so that you've got peer support, family support, whoever you want to choose. And then pick out one thing that you want to change. Don't try and do it all at once. And focus on that so it does become a habit. And it may well be we've all got different things. It may well be you want to change your exercise levels. You want to eat healthier. You actually want to to sleep better. And then accept that you won't always get it right. You will fail sometimes, time and time again. But if you failed once, that's normal. Don't worry about that. Go back and try it again. Remember, 
small, simple steps, not one big, gigantic step. And just keep it going so that health, wherever you look, has just become part and parcel, and you shared it with, with other people so you're not out there on your own. Thank you so much, Dr. David Batman, for your insights. Look, if I've changed one life today, then I'm happy. And that's, that's, how, that's what I would say. If I, what I'm doing just changes somebody's lives or somebody's risks, make one person or their family happier, my job's done. The big takeaway from this episode on men's health applies to everyone. 70% of your risk of future illnesses lie in your lifestyle and your attitude. And the good news is that you have control over that risk, even the genetic risks. You can change it and only you can change it. No one can do it for you. It's also important to know that if you are struggling with any of the mental issues we talked about today, there is hope. But rather than trying to fix it yourself, you may need to get professional help. And getting help is a sign of strength, not weakness. As we mentioned earlier, HPE has partnered with Virgin Pulse to help you get active. The Virgin Pulse website offers year-round well-being challenges, as well as provides an easy way to track your steps and even your sleep. U.S. employees can find the link to Virgin Pulse on HPE Wellness under Wellness Challenges and globally on the Wellness page on HPE Insider and you'll find many other helpful resources for you and your family members there as well. Our hope is that you learn something today that can improve your life or the life of someone else. Thanks so much for listening. Let's talk again soon. Mm -hmm.